0: Saturday, March 5th, 2022, and Ukraine has been at war with Russian forces for 10 days. Russia entered Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. Russian troops have moved inland from Belarus in the north, Russia in the east, and Crimea in the south. Crimea was annexed by Russia in 2014 and has allowed Russian troops to control port cities Kherson and Odessa in the west on the Black Sea and Militopol and Mariupol on the Azov Sea to the east. Russian forces have made inroads to Kharkiv in the northeast and are in control of Chernobyl in the north, but they are struggling to reach Kiev, a 40-mile-long convoy consisting of thousands of Russian vehicles, troops, tanks, and artillery suffering from major mechanical failures as well as major resistance from Ukrainian troops and civilians who have barricaded roads leading into Kiev as well as removing or altering road signs in order to leave Russian troops little way to navigate in a foreign land before we provide more updates on the war in Ukraine we focus on a video published to YouTube March 3rd 2022 in the video Three Russian prisoners of war give a 20 minute interview to the press stating they are giving their own words, their own notes and not notes provided to them, explaining how they came to invade Ukraine. The video has over 130,000 views and was posted by Ostap Kosiak, a Ukrainian filmmaker who provided English translations for the video from a Ukrainian television broadcast. The interview was broadcast on Ukrainian television March 2nd, 2022. In the video, three state police officers of the Russian Federation representing the Rapid Deployment Task Force, Lieutenant Colonel Astakov Dmitry Mihailovich, 47 years old. Mihailovich has a faint black eye. He's the least beat up of the three men. Inspection Officer Spritnov Yevgeny Viktorovich, 36 years old. He has a freshly stitched wound on his mouth from the bottom of his lip to his chin. His hand is bandaged, and he has two black eyes and several small abrasions all over his face that make it look like soot. Brigadier Chief Plotnikov Yevgeny Vitalievich, 27 years old, has a severely bruised eye and a large bandage high on his cheekbone. Vitalievich wears a clean, dark blue Adidas tracksuit. The other men wear clean fleece army jackets, both lacking any military insignia. The interview starts with Inspection Officer Viktorovich, quote, In February 22nd, we were mobilized to undergo drills in Belarus. February 24th, we have been given an unlawful order to go to Ukraine's territory. The order was conveyed by our commanders. The order came from our Supreme High Commander, from the President of the Russian Federation, Vladimir Putin. Together with Russia's armed forces, we were ordered to go to Ukraine's capital, to Kiev, and supply support in capturing the capital. After capturing the capital, we allegedly had to by all means, to stop any wrongdoings of Ukraine civilians, including arrests, physical coercion, execution by firing squad. Brigadier Chief Vitalyovich continues, quote, Later we realized that preparation for war was predetermined in the summer of 2021. All the detachments were mobilized to undergo exercises. Oman Special Task Police Squad, Sober Rapid Deployment Task Force, and Armed Forces, including forces from Chechnya and Dagestan. Lieutenant Colonel Mihailovich continues, Here's the overall picture. Should you have any questions, please do not hesitate to ask. The interview then opens to reporters. Reporter, quote, You told that the order was unlawful. Why haven't you refused to carry out the order? End quote. Lieutenant Colonel Mihailovich, quote, Police officers cannot perform any orders in the territory of a foreign state. We didn't really understand. Maybe, yes, we did not really believe that we would really enter Ukraine's territory. We were told that we would have drills in Belarus. As soon as we were told we were going to Ukraine, all the vehicles were ready. We were read the orders just before departure. We had no time to analyze it. We were just told, troopers, man up and go, and we went. Vitalyevich, quote, this is how it looked. We crossed the border and we were near Pripyat River. Mihailovich, quote, we had no mission task. They should explain us something during the drive or at the stops between. Inspection officer Viktorovich, quote, yes, the thing was allegedly our drill consisted of numerous relocations, marches. I mean, air passage from our part of Russia to Moscow, march from Moscow to the nearest settlements, or march from Moscow to Belarus. During all days of the drills, we were on the road all the time. We slept in the vehicles in camas, truckloads. We were driving for long and long hours. We were used to it. When, when we are loaded to the vehicles and told, hey, we're going now, move on, we got into the car and went on. Lieutenant Colonel Mihailovich, quote, it was just like an ordinary relocation for us. Reporter, quote, some Russian captives told that they had to rescue Ukraine from something, that the people would welcome you here. Were you also told this? Mihailovich, sure. We were told that Ukraine allegedly, we were told this while being in Russia via media, that Ukraine has dominated, literally, I'm 100% wrong now. Don't judge too harshly. Ukraine's territory is dominated by fascist regime. Nationalists, Nazis have seized power. Ordinary people need some help to get rid of this yoke. This was the aim. Obviously, this information was unilateral information. Of course, we have internet. Sometimes we get something from other sources. We could do a little analysis, but we had some doubts. We did not know the situation for sure. I, I personally, just when we entered this territory, when I watched the address of the professional boxers, your boxers, Back home, I always loved watching them, Yusik and Lomachenko. They're my favorite. I mean that when I say it. These people are just ready to take arms. They said, we didn't call you here. And I feel shame that we came to this country, to this territory, Ukraine's territory. This woman is just standing there and crying. I feel shame. I don't know why we were doing this. We knew very little. We were too little in our thoughts. We brought sorrow to this land. Don't know how much time is needed to purge everything. Is this redemption possible? We will go to jail or whatever we deserve. We're ready for everything, but will it mean redemption? I feel sorry for people left in Russia. They're not guilty. Their guilt is that they are misinformed. Some do not even have internet. They have no chance to use something alternative. They're constantly brainwashed. They get this unilateral information that Ukraine is seized by fascists. Maybe I really deserve to learn this lesson, Lord so I could finally see and try to tell it to those who are in Russia. Maybe they don't realize what is going on here. I'm frank with you. For those who would watch this video, you might think about me whatever you want, that I was forced, intimidated, or the text was prepared in advance or whatever. I'll give it to you straight. If someone came to my territory, I would do the same these people did, and I would be right, and they are right now. When I have to sit here and offer excuses, I, I don't understand what I'm offering the excuses for. My grandpa fought. I'm here like a death squad member. This is my personal feeling concerning Russian armed forces. If they can hear me, guys, be brave. It's easier for me, I'm in this situation already. You're in a tent situation going against your own commander, but this is genocide. The people are just killed. Just go to Russia and ask, do you want Ukraine's blood? I'm sure only an idiot would say yes. Or not even Ukrainian blood, blood of some other man. This is just a disease. This is called cannibalism. So help us deal with this problem. We have a real problem. We won't be able to stop right now. The flywheel has already started. Therefore, with your help to those who surrender as prisoners, pluck up your courage. Save their health and life. What is it for? Because if you make efforts to ensure that the maximum number of them die, no one will come to our homeland and no one will tell what happened here. It's easier to kill than give birth to someone. Even if a third of those who come back will be able to tell about it correctly, this will already be a big benefit. And thanks to you, this will happen. And thanks to your country, you will not only become winners physically, but winners spiritually. Inspection Officer Viktorovich, I wanted to add that when we were taken prisoner, we were taken to the hospital and given medical treatment. We were all wounded and we were treated. Just listen to this situation. They say that allegedly high-precision weapons destroy only military units somewhere. This is all false. I heard air raid sirens all night. I went to bed and prayed that the shell didn't just target me. People here are just like us. They all want to stay alive. Mothers. Children. I would like airstrikes to be stopped. Reporter, quote, You said that you were ordered to come to Kiev and cooperate with the armed forces of the Russian Federation. What specific tasks were you to perform? Viktorovich quote, you know, speaking about the police units, blowing something up is not our profile. The armed forces, for example, had to seize the territory. Our task was to stop the riots. We had to assure a team site to prevent people from stopping us, something like that. Reporter quote, you talked about getting home one day. Do you have a chance to return home under Russia's current government? Mihailovich, I doubt it. Viktorovich, there is a hope, but no one knows. End quote. The interview ends with cut scenes. Close-ups of dirty fingernails, stitches poking out of Viktorovich's lip. Two news cameras, one with a Reuters logo. The video feels sincere. They're detailed stories enough to convince most viewers. They are indeed damaged humans appearing to plead with fellow Russians to go home and tell the people there what they've seen, that Ukraine hasn't been taken over by Nazis. And they appeal to Ukrainian troops to let future prisoners of war go home to tell their stories. But something about this video is off. Moving on to the daily update, in the United States, U.S. Congress members met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky via Zoom at 9.30 Eastern Time, 4.30 p.m. in Kiev. The meeting lasted an hour, during which time President Zelensky reportedly requested stricter sanctions on Russia, asking them to suspend commercial transactions through Visa, MasterCard, and other credit companies, and urged the United States to revoke Russia's, quote, most favored nation, end quote, status in world trade, and then made a big ask that has been looming all over talks of global sanction against Russia, saying that stopping the purchase of Russian oil and gas could possibly be, quote, more powerful than swift, end quote. SWIFT is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications, a global networking system between banks used to facilitate financial interactions. Russia was blocked from SWIFT on February 26, two days after it invaded Ukraine. Additionally, President Zelensky again requested imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Barring that, he requested they and European nations supply Ukraine with Russian-made MiG-29 fighters. The U.S. and its European allies are currently in talks over providing planes. Russian President Vladimir Putin released a statement Saturday saying the establishment of a no-fly zone, stricter sanctions, and providing Ukraine with the requested planes would be considered an act of war. Putin's aim is to paralyze the world in fear of starting an all-out world war. Every step Western allies make will ultimately be considered an act of aggression. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called Zelensky's request for planes, quote, a desperate plea, end quote, adding that he would, quote, do all I can to help the administration facilitate their transfer, end quote. Republican Ben Sass from Nebraska said establishing a no-fly zone could, quote, spiral out of control. Congress's support of Ukraine was near unanimous, a rare show of unity that doesn't even qualify as bipartisanship. It's a faint glimmer of hope that America's Congress hasn't completely lost its grip on reality. Later Saturday, Visa and MasterCard announced they were suspending all transactions and operations in Russia due to its unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. In Ukraine, Kharkiv, northeast Ukraine, Ukraine's Center for Strategic Communications and Information Security, reported that since the beginning of the war, Russian troops have been responsible for the deaths of 194 people in the Kharkiv region. Most, 126, are civilian casualties, including five children. 35 servicemen, 4 police officers, 6 national guardsmen, 4 border guards, 4 paratroopers of the Kharkiv National University of the Air Force, 1 employee of the Security Service of Ukraine, and 14 territorial defense fighters (volunteers) make up non-civilian casualties. In total, 433 people have been injured over the past 10 days of shelling in Kharkiv, most, 312, are civilians. In Mykolaiv, a port city on the Black Sea 500 kilometers southwest of Kharkiv, Russian troops have been attacking the city since February 26th, when 12 Russian tanks broke through in Kharkova to the east and began closing in. Fierce fighting since then has seen Russian troops retreat, advance again, retreat, and advance. Some Russian troops rolled through the city heading north, using the new position to their advantage. By March 4th, Russian troops were attacking the city from the north, east, and south, with Ukrainian troops holding a single drawbridge on the southern bug, the second longest river in Ukraine. Today, head of the regional military administration Vitali Kim announced on his Telegram channel that three Russian helicopters had been shot down over Mykolaiv. Meanwhile, Russian tanks were moving towards the Kolbakinsky airport. The fighting in Mykolaiv has resulted in 21 Indian sailors on board a merchant ship in the Mykolaiv port being stranded. Their communication systems are working, they maintain contact with India, but they have not left the vessel since Russia began its assault. 100 kilometers southwest of Mykolaiv, the port city of Odessa, Ukraine on the Black Sea, volunteers anticipating a naval attack have been filling thousands of sandbags since the Russian invasion began. Odessa is Ukraine's third largest city. Its port controls a major share of Ukraine's exports and serves as a major security point for southern Ukraine. Russia's southern offensive has already taken the port city of Kherson, and the fighting in Mykolaiv is currently holding back Russian forces from advancing on Odessa. Capturing Odessa and Mykolaiv would put the entire south of Ukraine under Russian control. In the Kiev region, west of Kiev, Ukraine's capital, Ukraine's general staff reports Russian troops are operating in the towns of Polisky, Kukri, Byshev, Hornetchi, and Demedjev, essentially flanking Kiev to the west. With the stalled Russian convoy in the north barely making progress in the wide range of attacks in the south, Russia's strategic goal is apparently to choke Kiev from all sides. Resistance fighting is making it difficult for Russia to advance quickly. Add to the Ukrainian forces, a reported 16,000 volunteers from the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and Europe have taken President Zelensky up on his request for additional fighters. Many have already arrived. It's estimated that some 3,000 United States veterans, many from Iraq and Afghanistan, have volunteered to join Zelensky's International Legion. I want to return to the first half of this episode, to the interview with Russian POW's broadcast on Ukrainian television. I said that something felt off about the video. When the camera pans to the two reporters in the room, the Reuters camera that I mentioned, it's missing the letter S on the end of Reuter. And the logo appears to be a sticker that's curling off of the hot shoe mic. I just don't know if the video is real. We reached out to Reuters to confirm a correspondent was present at the interview with the soldiers, though no Reuters footage has been published. Reuters did not respond in time for the release of this episode, and that has made us worried. So we got to thinking, what if the video of Russian POWs is a fake? Well, that wouldn't be horrible. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Isn't the whole point of this podcast to cut through the misinformation, slowly bubbling up through ultra-right-wing social media? And what about extremist misinformation from the left? And in case you're wondering, yes, that exists too, and we're going to get to it in another episode. What about all of that? Let's go back to the year 2016, when foreign policy published an excerpt from Charles Clover's book, Black Wind, White Snow, The Rise of Russia's New Nationalism. Vladimir Putin has been in power for 20 years, and to the West, his politics and his motives seem to be some kind of mystery. Until, that is, you understand Alexander Dugan. Dugan wrote the 1997 book, The Foundations of Geopolitics, which actually expounded on a more obscure view of political power from the 1930s. Namely, that geography, not economics, is the fundamental determinant of world power, And Russia, simply by virtue of its physical location, inherits a primary global role. And no, this isn't some sort of conspiracy. The Foundations of Geopolitics sold out in four editions. It was that popular. And if you're wondering if Putin has ever heard of it, well, let me put it this way. Dugin's Foundations of Geopolitics is, to this day, assigned as a textbook at the General Staff Academy and other military universities in Russia. But it is not a textbook. It's a guidebook. Here are a few key details from Dugan's Foundations of Geopolitics. On Georgia, Russia's southern neighbor, quote, Georgia should be dismembered. Abkhazia and United Ossetia, which includes Georgia's South Ossetia, will be incorporated into Russia. Georgia's independent policies are unacceptable, End quote. And this actually happened. In 2008, the Russo-Georgian War resulted in the diplomatic recognition of Abkhazia and South Ossetia by Russia. This was widely condemned the world over, which resulted in the two regions becoming de facto countries. In 2014 and 2015, Russia, Abkhazia, and South Ossetia signed Alliance and Integration Treaties, essentially incorporating their militaries and integrating their customs services. The Associated Press called it, quote, nearly full integration, end quote. On the United Kingdom, Dugan described it as, quote, an extraterritorial floating base of the United States, end quote, that should be cut off from Europe. In 2020, UK Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee, Russia Report, a 55-page assessment of Russia's political influence in the UK, found that the government, intelligence, and security services, quote, underestimated the response required to the Russian threat and are still playing catch-up. Russian influence in the UK is the new normal. The UK is clearly a target for Russian disinformation. It cites Russian state-funded broadcasters like Sputnik and RT as significant factors in influencing voices in UK politics, along with potential money laundering operations through real estate purchases in London and suspicious campaign donations as possible evidence of Russian influence. Rachel Elihus, writing for the Center of Strategic and International Studies in 2020, concluded, quote, Because Russian influence operations thrive on divided audiences, the very close result of the referendum could well have been influenced by any or all of these factors. The government's refusal to prepare then and to investigate now shows it is not prepared to handle the truth, and only the Kremlin benefits. End on the United States, Dugan says, Quote, Russia should use its special services within the borders of the United States to fuel instability and separatism, for instance, provoke Afro-American racists. Russia should introduce geopolitical disorder into internal American activity, encouraging all kinds of separatism and ethnic, social, and racial conflicts, actively supporting all dissident movements, extremist, racist, and sectarian groups, thus destabilizing internal political processes in the US. It would also make sense simultaneously to support isolationist tendencies in American politics." End quote. For our American audience, I think you're well aware of the discourse on the Russian election meddling theory. But in case you're still divided, I'll just remind you that the FBI actively has a wanted list of 11 Russian nationals for the following crimes. Quote, Computer hacking conspiracy involving gaining unauthorized access into the computers of U.S. persons and entities involved in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, stealing documents from those computers, and staging releases of the stolen documents to interfere with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The indictment also charges these defendants with aggravated identity theft, false registration of a domain name, and conspiracy to commit money laundering two defendants are charged with a separate conspiracy to commit computer crimes relating to hacking into the computers of U.S. persons and entities responsible for the administration of 2016 U.S. elections, such as state boards of elections, secretaries of state, and U.S. companies that supplied software and other technology related to the administration of U.S. elections. End quote. Yes, the FBI is actively pursuing 11 Russians who did that. Combine that with the following scenario. Imagine, if you will, the year 2022. The United States has been bickering with itself bitterly for the past decade. Our two political parties vote strictly on party lines and appear to be growing even further apart. There is this crazy conspiracy theory that Russian trolls and bots have been spreading far-right disinformation and even left-wing whataboutism. We're divided on this, too. Russian disinformation, memes, bots, and trolls can't be that widespread or that effective, right? It's just the internet, for Christ's sake. We insist we haven't lost our minds, but we, in our ideological bubbles, are squarely on the course for a bright future, if only the other side would listen for a goddamn minute. Now imagine, in that scenario, our right-wing conservative party has gone so far right that a sitting U.S. Congresswoman gives a speech at a white supremacist neo-Nazi rally called the America First Political Action Conference. That sounds crazy, right? And now they're going on about Russia, and Vladimir Putin is Hitler, and they say that's not a good thing. Can we give a round of applause for Russia? Yes. absolutely absolutely we are honored we are humbled and excited to welcome to the stage right now for our first speech and we love to get to know her much better I think this is going to be the beginning of something great the representative from Georgia Marjorie Taylor Green. The speaker there is Nick Fuentes, a 23-year-old white supremacist whose YouTube channel was permanently suspended in 2020 for violating its hate speech policy. And the America First conference, you know, the one with everyone chanting Putin, was on February 25th, the day after Russia invaded Ukraine. A Hitler joke, chanting for Putin, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene blows the audience a kiss. Dugin's geopolitics is playing out in real time. Here's one more example. On Ukraine. Ukraine should be annexed by Russia because, Dugin writes, "...Ukraine as a state has no geopolitical meaning, no particular cultural import or universal significance, no geographic uniqueness, no ethnic exclusiveness... Its certain territorial ambitions represents an enormous danger for all of Eurasia, and, without resolving the Ukrainian problem, it is in general senseless to speak about continental politics." Ukraine, therefore, should not be allowed to remain independent unless it remains contained, that is, as long as it is not integrated into Europe or any European alliance, like NATO. That would be unacceptable. Because the path laid forth by Dugan in geopolitics is so eerily similar to how Western politics have played out in the last two decades, it should now be clear, crystal clear, that we've been played for a long time in the West. Most of us unknowingly, unwittingly, we just live our lives while all this stuff swirls around us. But now, for some reason, Ukraine has captured our Western attention, which is something not even Russia anticipated. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has managed to win out against Putin on his own turf. Putin's carefully crafted public image as a strongman, you remember the shirt off riding a horse photo, that falls apart when Zelensky addresses the nation in an army green t-shirt, when the people of Ukraine use their smartphones to collectively send a message of Ukrainian strength and unity, from, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, to, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. Ukraine has mastered the digital narrative in a way that Putin could only dream of. Not only that, but Ukraine has achieved a level of support, support that can be leveraged for power, in just 10 days that Putin has still yet to achieve after 20 years. So, back to that interview with the three Russian prisoners of war. We tried to verify its authenticity, but Reuters still hasn't responded. At this point, if that video clip the seemingly heartfelt remorse expressed by the Russian forces, the appeal to humanity instead of Putin's preferred appeal to authority, if that interview proves to be falsified in some way, we will indeed retract and correct our reporting. But at that point, the video will become just another tactical strategy, a tit-for-tat exchange between Ukraine and Russia in the war for online supremacy, and Ukraine will have won that round, hands down. This was coverage of the war in Ukraine for March 5th, 2022. Ten days into the fighting, Ukraine is still holding strong. There are a lot of ways to support Ukraine. Visit uacrisis.org, UNICEF, Ukraine, the International Red Cross, or just Google how to support Ukraine. Little known fact, you can also go to Airbnb and book a place to stay in Ukraine. Airbnb is waiving all of its fees, so your bookings act as a direct donation. One last thing. That video I've been talking about with the Russian POWs When I started writing this episode 8 hours ago, it had 110,000 views. It currently has 130,000.